0: Stories from California Cattle countries, produced by the California Cattlemen Foundation. We've created this podcast to communicate the stories of people and practices from far-flung ranches and dairies throughout the state to better connect them with the customers that they serve. It was my thinking that to properly communicate the day of a dairyman, I should at minimum do my best to shadow at least a partial day at work. Cody Nicholson Stratton gets his day rolling at 3 a.m., as in the Latin anti-meridium. We figured it would be best to get there before 5 in the morning. Foggy Bottoms Farm is the stone's throw from downtown Ferndale in Humboldt County. We pulled up, and we were greeted by some farm dogs and made our way into the milking barn where we found Cody milking the last dozen or so Jersey cows from his herd of 96. Milking cows must be milked at least twice a day, 365 days a year. Dairy farmers will space milking evenly throughout the 24 hours. So at Foggy Bottoms, it's at 3am and 3pm. After washing out the milking barn, we followed Cody carrying buckets of fresh milk to feed the calves. New calves are housed in calf hutches, which resemble giant dog houses with an attached fenced outdoor area. If you've ever driven by a dairy on I-5, you've no doubt seen them. At first glance, they look like a place where bad cows go when they're in time out. In actuality, they are there to ensure the newborn cows have a safe place to live for six to eight weeks as they develop their immune system and receive proper nutrition. After that period, they join the herd. By 6 a.m. 4, the six generations were on the farm with three putting in work. The youngest, Cody and Thomas's three-year-old son, oh, dubbed the, the tiny away. farmer, was sleeping. Before the retired grandpa, Larry, went out to clean a stall, we sat him down to learn a little history about the farm. After Larry, we spoke to Cody about farm operations, their perpetual hustle known as other farm income, which is basically diversification of income streams, the farm's vibrant social media presence, and what it's like to be two fabulously gay Jewish farmers. I'm Ryan Donahue, and this is Stories from California Cattle Country.
1: They okay, had been my great grandfather. Grandparents came over from the uh, Scandinavian countries Denmark, Finland, and Norway. Came through Ellis Island, made their way here to California. And my great grandfather and his brother both were in Lolita and milk cows rather for other people. Then my grandparents got married. They eloped on a motorcycle. <laughs> she, was, uh, she was on the first graduating class from Humboldt State. Oh, wow. When it was Humboldt Normal. They lived in Lolita, milked cows. And in 1925, they moved down to the Port Canyon area on the other side of Ferndale, bought uh, a business, the dairy they rent at rent least uh, the dairy from a, another family, bought the cows and the equipment that was there. And uh, we still have the original bill of sale. And they were there in 1925. Tw- my dad got out of the war in, in 45. Him and mom took over the business, moved out here in... Uh, 54, that's where it's been ever since. And The wife and I took over, while I graduated from high school, I had half interest in the business, and then the wife and I got married in 67, in 79 We built a milk barn, and figured 59 years of milking cows was enough, I decided to retire in 15, and Rick and Janice and Cody took over, they, they still let me help out.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it oh, no, like you're retired. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no,
1: you never retire from a dairy. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: All the dairies I've been to so far have Holsteins. Why jerseys?
1: Jerseys have more uh, high components in the milk, uh, more butter fat, And probably at the time when all the dairies were starting in that, butter price was good. World War I, government contracted with the for butter to ship overseas. Same with World War II all the little creamies around here all had contracts with the government for, for butter. So that, that's probably why.
0: Do you know from your family, why Ferndale? Like what what was appealing about this area?
1: Uh, a lot of it reminded the people of the old country. Now, we went back to Denmark in uh, 72. It was just like this here. The green, the green country that and that there.
2: I'm Cody Nicholson-Stratton. Uh, we run Nicholson Livestock and Foggy Bottoms Boys in Ferndale, California. Can you just talk me through like what your typical day lo- looks like? What was today? Our typical day here on the farm is varied depending on the season. Generally, we start about 3 o'clock in the morning with milking. We're a multi-species operation, so we have both dairy cows, beef cattle, as well as sheep and pastured poultry. Um, So we start at 3 a.m. with milking. That lasts until about 6. Once we finish milking 100 cows, cleaning up the barn, re-sanitizing it. From there, we move into all of the feeding and cleaning that accompanies the farm. We would feed our calves, feed all the young stock, uh, move on to feeding the beef herd during winter, uh, addressing any calving issues, and tagging new calves that are born in the beef operation and then moved out to our sheep, which currently we are lambing. So we'll be going out and checking use for new lambs, tagging new lambs, recording all of them, and then moving the flock. We do a high intensity, short duration grazing with the sheep. So they'll need to be moved to a new pasture. From there, we move back to the dairy and set up new fences for the cattle rotation. So the cows are rotationally grazed as well and make sure that the barns are all clean. So after each feeding, we go through and clean the barns. We'll set up the feedings for the evening, fill the silage bunks, fill the hay mangers, and then start milking again at three o'clock. And we'll milk from three to five. And then at that point, we move into the paperwork part of our business. We'll do all the paperwork that goes with being certified organic, certified humane, as well as the various um, government agencies, paperwork that we have to do. And then we set up our social media for the next day. So we'll schedule our posts for TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, address any emails from customers for our direct sales, beef, lamb and yarn, and then start prepping orders to be sent out, either shipped or delivered that week and have those ready to go in our freezers. And then when when do you sleep? Uh, usually about 830, as long as our three year old decides that that's an acceptable time. Um, 830 or nine, we'll go to sleep and then be up again at you know, two thirty, three o'clock to start the day again. What was the reason for bringing in, you know, rabbits and sheep? Yeah. So originally it was a dairy. Um, really for us, though, the choice was resiliency. We needed to build a resilient farm. We wanted to sustain it and carry it on to another generation. I'm sixth generation. We're hoping that our son will be the seventh if he so chooses. We needed to build a farm that could be financially viable. And dairy, while it's a great industry, has its ups and downs in the market. We live in the northernmost coastal part of California, there's a limitation on land availability, bringing inputs and our costs can be very high. So utilizing the land base we have for the most was really critical to us. And we can stack enterprises on it. So we can graze sheep on pastures that we've grazed dairy cattle or beef cattle on because they will select different plant species. Um, we can run pastured poultry within the operation and not lose animal units from our dairy because the chickens aren't utilizing the same resources and so we've tried to really stack as many enterprises on the farm as we can to diversify our income and also that means that if one area is lacking the others are able to kind of pick up the slack there
0: you guys also host events i know you're doing an event today at 11. when you started bringing people on the farm was that a communications thing or was it an income
2: thing or is it kind of a mix of both Uh, Initially, it was a communications thing. You know, we built uh, our social media brand, uh, Fuggy Bottoms Boys, and that really was built around the idea of being advocates. So we were going to advocate for the agricultural industry, represent LGBTQ members of the ag community. Jews in agriculture. But then we saw that that kind of transitioned into just an overarching brand. It's really diversified to there now. It's become more of a marketing arm for our business as well as still, you know, representing agriculture and speaking to what's happening in the ag world. Bringing people on just grew out of the interest that so many people were reaching out to us wanting to come to the farm. It became very clear that there were a lot of people that are interested in agriculture, but don't have a way to connect with farming, with cattle. And so we can give them that opportunity, particularly being a small farm. It's easier. I feel like for us to do that, to be that gateway, because it's, you know, more personal. We're able to bring them on. There's only five calves generally in our hutches at any time. So it's able, we're able to kind of oversee what happens in greater detail. I feel like. And that gives us that ability to also have more people around to kind of run herd on everyone as they're here. And that grew into now its own business. So we're hosting events. We're hosting um, an educational seminar in the fall. We're going to do a lamb school. So we'll have a three day series where people who are interested in homesteading or starting their own flock of sheep will come spend three days on the farm and do Uh, pasture rotation they'll help us in the lambing barns and also help shear and so they'll have like a very hands-on experience with what it takes to raise sheep just as an introductory course to do
0: social media for a business or a business even of this size is a full-time job right and so oh yeah and you already have a full-time job there are tangible benefits from
2: your social media presence there are absolutely tangible benefits from our social media presence Our whole direct market sales has grown out of social media. We've done no marketing outside of Instagram and Facebook and now TikTok. As far as like beef and lamb sales, our egg sales, our eggs are wholesaled to local grocers, but most of those customers are coming to them from social media. And then our yarn is exclusively sold through social media. We've run a annual run of blankets that are spun and woven from our fleeces. Usually those sell out within four to five days, um, and they're only offered through Instagram. And then we're able to market our entire year's clip of, from our flock as blankets through social media. And it's also you know given us that ability to kind of reach out and talk to people and create some situations where we're in the community and people recognize us as the Foggy Bombs boys and we have no idea who they are which can always be disconcerting and weird. (laughs) One of the things I found is like, like people that work
0: in a certain industry kind of get this weird Stockholm syndrome of not seeing as what
2: they do as being interesting. Is that something you guys deal with? Like constantly, it's um, hard for us because sometimes we don't see what we do as unique or interesting. And the post will post something that seems so trivial to us, something that, you know, it's just normal. We wouldn't think twice about it. And that'll be the thing that for the month, was the most interesting to people. And so for us, it's that ability we have to step back and actually look at it and try to look at it through the eyes of someone else. Or, you know, we give tours here and the thing in our milk barn, you know, we have a whole milk barn, there's the entire milking process, but our plate cooler is inevitably always the most interesting thing that people want to talk about and discuss because the water that goes through the plate cooler to cool the milk before it hits the tank is recycled it's captured at the back of the barn. It's used to power wash the barn down at the end of milking. And then that's captured at the very end of the barn as fertilizer and spread on the fields. And so like for us, it just seems so normal that the water is used multiple times and it's recycled. But for someone who doesn't have exposure to agriculture or to dairy that's really new and really interesting there was like a collection
0: of rocks that were all kind of similar shaped and size and like and obviously they would have been removed if they were a problem I'm like oh, what are these rocks for he goes oh well like sometimes we we have to just set them on top of this thing like you know it's just like those little tiny things just like you, you know just
2: Yep, the rocks used
0: use to add weight to one quarter on the yeah. machines—we don't think about it. But yeah, yeah. But I mean, it is—it's interesting. You know, there's there's stories everywhere, and I think that's—I think it's also hard, especially in this community, and especially in, uh, in ranching as well, is that people don't have the ability to kind of step back and see what they're doing is being completely interesting to everybody. Yes. You know, it's a, it's an overused word in communications, but about authenticity. When I went through your social media, it was disarmingly
2: authentic is that
0: just who you are or is that a conscious decision or kind of a mix
2: I think it would be a mix so it's very you know initially when we started we had this idea like everything has to be perfect we don't want to show anything that goes wrong or isn't you know correct you know there's a certain vulnerability to opening up and showing people what really happens on the farm who you really are you know we look at so many social media pages and everything is so curated. The photos have the same color schemes throughout them. It's the same theme. And you know, initially we kind of wanted to follow that track and we realized that really wasn't the story we wanted to convey. We wanted to be honest and gritty and show what it was to be in agriculture, to be a farm, to be who we were, and to be very open about who we were. And so we probably share a lot more than I think most people anticipate for what happens on the farm, being, you know, gay in agriculture, being gay in our community. We share about Jewish holidays. Like we're very open about like this is who we are, this is like the role we play in our community and this is the role on the farm. And I think in a way that's kind of refreshing because when you go to a page that's that honest and that open, it it helps you trust the people that you're talking to and, you know, the story they're telling because they're telling you everything. They're being very open about who they are and what's happening. It's hard to be that open about everything and to open yourself up to criticism and, you know, the comments that come to you through social media as a result of that. I think on the website it says two fabulously gay
0: farmers. It's it's all out there. This is an industry from my experience so far that is typically pretty quiet or like taciturn. Yes. At first it was like, we don't talk about anything. Yes. (laughs) You know, and then it's like like, we're going to talk about stuff and we're going to talk about stuff that's not typical to this industry. As far as the community that you're in is farmers or dairies or agriculture, was there any pushback or was it accepting or?
2: I would say overall, very accepting. I think farmers in general are more interested in what you contribute to the community, to your industry than anything else, as long as you're making great contributions. That's what they're most concerned about. You know, I don't think everyone's not going to be accepting. It's just, that's the the inevitability of life that there are going to be some people that aren't, there are going to be some people that make comments, but you just ignore that because at the end of the day, their input doesn't really matter. It's not consequential to my life. Um, And so it's easy to just move forward because so many other people appreciate what you're doing and focus on the good parts. And as a whole, though, I have to say like our community was incredible. When our son came into our life, we were not prepared. We went from thinking we were getting little girl who was four to a premature little boy in the matter of an hour. We had nothing. We weren't set up for it. And like the local ag community here turned out over that week in ways we couldn't have expected. They Brought us dinner, lunches, breakfast. They all of a sudden we had preemie clothes and diapers and cribs and were fully set up for this baby. And he ended up with his own herd of registered jerseys and (laughs) horned dorset sheep because a local shepherd thought that he needed registered horned dorsets for when he was in 4-H. And another dairyman decided that he needed spotted calves because we're known for having spotted jerseys. And so he needed his very own. So he brought over dropped calves for him like uh, the community has been supportive in ways that I just don't think most people would anticipate from agriculture, but it's they're genuine people that, you know, really support their neighbors. I mean, that's been my experience, too,
0: yeah. is that it's the most hospitable group of people like yeah. you can and show up
2: in anybody's door at any time and, and you, you know, know you invite a whole bunch of neighbors to pour them and all of a sudden it's like a you know it's a drinking holiday so everyone's excited about it whether or not they understand what's happening on that particular holiday they're happy to show up and party with you. Well you said you're sixth generation? Yeah I'm sixth generation.
0: What was the process for you like coming up getting out of high school and how were, how did your family handle that? Was it you must do this
2: or was no. it like No. So our family has a very uh, determined policy that they want you to leave the farm. They want you to go out and experience life away from the farm before you come back. I was obviously encouraged to go to college. So I went to Oregon State. I was at the satellite campus in Eastern Oregon, majored in rangeland ecology and soils. And then I took a job off farm for a couple of years. And before I determined that I wanted to come back and that was my family's policy is they want you to go away. They want you to experience life elsewhere because farming is hard. It's difficult. It's, you know, 24 seven. It's very demanding of you physically, mentally, emotionally. And they, you know, while it would be sad if the long generations, long business and tradition ended, they also want that to be something that you decide. They don't want that to ride on your shoulders and feel like you're obligated to carry on something. If it's not your passion, we can always find someone else to take care of the land. You don't have to be the one to do it. If you count Tiny Farmer, there's four generations on the farm at, you know, any given point in time. And and with tine, Tiny
0: Farmer, your son, will you have a similar approach, you think? Yes. Like,
2: like, we would love him to be interested in it. We would be happy if he was the seventh generation. But if that's not what his passion is, then he can go be a lawyer or doctor or whatever he wants to be. We're happy with him going off and doing something else, if that's where his passion and his interest is.
0: I want to talk a little bit about, well, about Ferndale specifically is like how it's a pain in the ass to get here. Yes, you know what it is? I mean? <laughs> so, and I think it's in a way, preserve this town and this place, like, because it's just hard to get to in doing the business that you do. Would you say that there's any like extra costs or even benefits from being
2: remote? Yeah. So as far as like, once we've diversified into agritourism, we're doing more farm tours, there are benefits to that. And that this is a very tourist, it's a touristy area here. People come, they go to the Redwoods, they go to the coast, you know, Ferndale itself is beautiful. It's Victorians. It's a very attractive place to go. So we bring people in from that side of business. As far as like operating a farm itself, it's very difficult because any input costs have to be shipped in. It's very expensive to bring in feed. So we've, moved to producing all of our own feed we grow all of our own hay on farm which is not only more labor it's more time it's one more thing that we have to focus on and be knowledgeable about and rather than just being able to buy it you know now we have to actually grow the alfalfa and we have to take care of it and we have to actually know about alfalfa production and so those are all costs that add to it grain is incredibly expensive as well Uh, you know barley with everything happening on the market currently and then the cost of just bringing in 10% of our ration is barley and that made our grain a hundred dollars a ton more expensive so we had to cut barley out and so there's you know these things that we just have to pay attention to and find ways to work around them or to eliminate them if possible
0: you you had that time where you you went to school and stuff and had time to kind of ruminate on like whether or not this is something you wanted to be involved in. it's like, and I often, this is a question I, I I look at when I go to ranches and dairies and see people working and being up at three in the
2: morning. And why do you do this? Because you love it. It's literally that you love what you do. It takes a special kind of person, I think, to want to get up at three o'clock in the morning and go milk cows and, you know, be out when it's, you know, we live on the coast. It's not super cold, but it's 32 degrees sometimes and you're out there and it's cold and you're wet and you're milking cows and then you're going to go out in the pouring rain and take care of ewes that are lambing and bring them into the barn and pull lambs and be filthy all day and you have to love what you're doing otherwise you don't have the motivation to get out of bed and go take care of those things and be there for the animals and you know get up again the next day and do it all over again so it's definitely a labor of love on on every day on every day There's, christmas day or christmas day or yeah, yeah so. d- during uh, passover or like you yeah, yeah, like you know no and that's the thing like if you're going into the holidays you you plan around them like you you have to try to like set everything up to be as you know easy as possible on that day because if you're cooking meal you know passover seder you're trying to spend all day cooking but something's inevitably gonna happen you're gonna have to go out and you know, address a calving, you know, a dystocia. You might have to pull a calf or you might have a sick you that you have to go take care of. And, you know, Seder's now an hour later. It's just the reality of life.
0: Well, thank you for doing this and uh, letting us in your home. Yeah, I think this uh, went pretty well. We have everything we need for sure. I pressed record.
2: Okay. Do you want me to go grab Grandpa? Is he here? He's here now.
0: If you'd like to see photographs of our visit, Including pictures of Ferndale, the sunrise at Foggy Bottoms Farm, or some of the animals we met along the way, visit www.calcattlecouncil.org. If you want a glimpse into our travels, we started an Instagram account at Calcattle Country. I'd also encourage you to follow Foggy Bottoms Boys on Instagram or Facebook at Foggy Bottoms Boys. If there's something you'd like to hear on stories from California cattle country, you can contact me directly at ryan at calcattle.org or leave comments on our various social media posts. We'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening.